In the book Dare to Lead, Brene Brown says, get clear on whose opinions of you matter. Isn't it true that if we take in any and all feedback, regardless of the giver's quality and the intention of the feedback, we end up getting hurt or we morph ourselves into someone that maybe we aren't? At the same time, though, if we shield ourselves entirely from feedback, we fail to grow and move forward. So here's a question for you today. Who do you value and accept feedback from? Who in your world can provide you with feedback that you're able to digest and take in knowing that they have your best interest in mind? In today's episode, we're going to dive into why feedback can be a really difficult conversation to have, uh, why when we give it, we so often feel that it's the person receiving it who has the problem, but when we're in the receiver's seat, we then feel like the problem is with the giver. It can be tough and it can be a sticky situation no matter which side of the coin you're on. It's a real conundrum too because if you're one who likes to learn and improve and always be doing your best, you probably actually really crave and want feedback to know what you're doing well and know how you can improve, but you probably also at the same time just want someone to pat you on the back, tell you you're awesome and that you're a-okay just as you are. Before I introduce my guest today and bring you our interview, I want to tell you a quick little story and how the, today's topic found its way to the She Built This podcast for our month focused on rethinking. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm Emily A. Bourne, a freelance content writer and the leader of She Built This. She Built This is this podcast, and it's also a community filled with the likes of the voices that you hear on this podcast. Women who are on a mission to support one another while we build our dreams and grow our businesses, and women who act as each other's feedback channels, cheerleaders, and and they're also the people by your side who will just let you know that you're a-okay just as you are now. If all that has you curious and you are kind of missing out on some of the community piece in running your own business, uh, just visit us at shebuiltthis.org to learn more. We would love to have you join us. Also, if you finish listening to today's episode and you're like, ooh, I want to give some preferably positive feedback to Emily about what I loved in today's episode, please take a couple of minutes to, or a minute, uh, to write me a review on the Apple Podcast app because your reviews really are helping me to build this and also bring on great guests like today's. All right, ready for story time? Uh, recently, I went to Charlotte, North Carolina to visit my parents and one of my three younger brothers. On Sunday afternoon, we were all like ready for lunch and I wanted to treat my parents. Uh, my little brother was working. So I said, let's go to lunch and it's on me. And I am a fairly picky eater, which my parents well know by now. Or should I say, I guess I tell people I'm a picky eater just because I have a lack of a better way to describe it. But really, I'm a very sensitive eater because my stomach hurts if I make certain popular choices. Anyway, so given all that, I usually can navigate like pretty much any menu that you put in front of me. Um, so I said I would be fine no matter what we chose. We ended up at a place called the Pita Wheel, which actually looked like it had some happy options for them and some salads and such that I could choose from. I got a salad with chicken on it, which is like my go-to if I'm eating out for lunch. I can't 
eat garlic and on, uh, garlic and then onion powder and and tell you what they will, most restaurant salad dressings have those things in there. So instead of salad dressing, after reading their options, I said, well, can I just get olive oil and vinegar on the side and I'll make that my dressing? Well, when my parents' salad uh, sandwiches came out and my salad arrived, it did not look quite as advertised in their menu. It was like a bed of very tired lettuce and there were a couple cherry tomatoes, some cucumbers that looked like they should have been used probably two days ago. And then like draped over the top were these like soggy pita triangles. I think they were like supposed to be croutons um, and a couple bites of chicken. And then in that ramekin where I said I'd love some uh, olive oil and vinegar, there was just vinegar, no olive oil, Um, which was interesting. Like, I don't know anybody who just puts vinegar on their salad. Maybe some of you do. Um, After taking a bite of the chicken, I realized it was going to require some olive oil and I needed to track some down because it was dry as a bone. It had no flavor and I'm pretty sure I almost like dislocated my jaw with that first bite. This was uh, what you might call an olive oil emergency. So I definitely needed some fat to make this meal palatable. Um, So I tried to track down our waitress to ask for the olive oil, but I couldn't find her. So I found somebody else who was like buzzing in and out of the kitchen. And I asked if they had any olive oil. She went to go check with the cooks. Comes back, no olive oil, she said. We actually don't use olive oil. We use something else. And I was like, okay, I don't know what something else means. Um, That sounds a little too risky. So I just went back to my table and like spent the meal pushing everything around my plate. I took a bite of my mom's chicken from her sandwich and somehow it was like delicious and flavorful and not dry. Uh, So I think they probably just left mine sitting in the pan for like 10 minutes longer than everybody else's. I also decided to like just try the tomatoes and you know what happens when you like bite a tomato and you then instantly really regret eating that tomato? It was that kind of situation. And I'm not going to get into detail because I know you can all imagine what that's like if you eat tomatoes. So anyway, eventually someone, uh, not our original server, comes back up to clear our plates and, and bring the bill. And he asked if I wanted mine boxed up to go. So I wasn't going to do this, um, but I gritted my teeth and I told him honestly, <laughs> I said, you know, I'm only telling you this because I I think it would be really helpful feedback for your kitchen, but my meal was really not good. And then I shared, you know, a couple of the issues, including the sandpaper chicken, the nearly rotten tomatoes, and the sun-dried cucumbers, which I actually don't think is supposed to be a thing, Um, but in this case, it was. So I will say, uh, as a a pro, the three pita triangles were delicious. (laughs) Um, Anyway. As I was giving feedback, I felt really, really bad. Like as soon as the words were coming out of my mouth describing what needed improvement, I felt terrible. And what ended up happening was that he took the meal off the check. And then I have now spent the last three months, um, as in I'm still thinking about it from April, overthinking what I said, regretting what I said, wondering if I should have just kept my mouth shut and said nothing at all. Now, Many people in the She Built This community, as well as in my personal life, know me as a cheerleader. I love rooting people on. I love telling them what they're doing well and what makes them great. What I have a hard time with often is giving that tough 
feedback. And I think I do this better for my writing clients or if somebody asks me to like review a page or review a, a, a website copy. Um, and I, I think I do better with it for them because I can A, do it in a really loving way and I know that I'm being really loving. And also I'm physically helping them to make the changes while I'm sharing the room for improvement. But I've done a lot of reflecting on why it is so uncomfortable for me. And I think that there are two main reasons. Uh, first of all, I never want to put something someone out. I don't want to make them do more work or feel like they have to redo something. I don't want them to feel bad about what they're doing. So I hesitate to give them feedback that might make them feel those things. Um, number two, I'm actually pretty sensitive to feedback myself. This is especially dependent on who it's from, but I would also say it's when it's delivered and how it's delivered. Um, I tend to see when people are giving me feedback as they're right and what I'm doing is just straight up wrong. And it can be very discouraging if that's your belief because then you are in air quotes always wrong when, when you're getting that feedback. The sensitivity, now I will say this is a work in progress and this is exactly the issue that brought me to reading today's guest book, Thanks for the Feedback. But um, this sensitivity around feedback really came to light for me in 2020 when I thought I had landed, okay? Like I was like, this is it. This is the idea for my first book. I wrote and I wrote and I wrote for days. And then I sent over about eight chapters, which in my mind were like completely done to a writer friend. And it was like one of those times where I probably should have expressed, you know, I don't want feedback. I just want you to cheer me on and be happy for me sitting down and writing and getting an idea. But instead, I didn't say that. I just sent her like a bunch of Google Docs and it came back redlined page after page after page of feedback that I didn't ask for and I was most definitely not ready for. Um, it was so intense and I stopped the entire project. I was completely deflated and I swore I was never going to show anybody my writing ever again. Now, of course, looking back on it, I'm able to see that she was just trying to help me. But at that time, it felt like my dream of being a writer was just like squelched before my eyes. And clearly this was evidence I was like a terrible writer and did not have the chops to write a book. As you will hear in this interview today, this is a great example of what's called an identity trigger around feedback. And this is when we we feel a piece of the feedback or the feedback itself is actually threatening our identity or who we believe ourselves to be. Now, we talk about three triggers, uh, three feedback triggers in this episode, truth, identity, and relationship. I've come up against all three. And trust me when I say this, I am a person that despite all this fear of feedback, despite my sometimes discomfort and difficulty with it, I want it, right? Like I am always looking to improve and better myself and the world around me. And I'm also in a position where I've exposed myself to a lot of external feedback. I mean, I run a group of 1700 women entrepreneurs. Someone always has feedback for me. I interact with clients one-to-one -one and I work in collaborations where I bump into feedback constantly. And I also have to give it frequently too. Like when someone shares an idea with me or is brainstorming or a client wants to do things one way and it really is not in their best interest to do so, I have to be the one to offer the feedback. Now, here's the thing. It is a really, it can be a conundrum for both givers and receivers, but both giving and receiving feedback is a skill and we can learn to get better at it. And I am 
definitely on a mission to do that myself. Um, today's guest, Sheila Heen, she's author of Thanks for the Feedback, and she's on a mission to help us do that as well. We're going to get into the three types of feedback, appreciation, coaching, and evaluation, what differentiates them from one another, why it matters who's giving the feedback, how we can get better at approaching it, and what to do if you're just simply not accepting feedback in a certain area or from a certain person, because that's okay too. A big thank you to Erin Newhart and the power of the ask in the She Built This community for connecting me to Sheila for today's conversation. Sheila is incredible. She really knows her stuff. Um, In addition to writing, thanks for the feedback, the science and art of receiving feedback. She has this incredible bio and I really want you to like tune in and listen to this part. Sheila is a founder of Triad Consulting, a professor of practice at Harvard Law School, and serves as a deputy director of the Harvard Negotiation Project, where she's been developing negotiation theory and practice since 1995. Her clients have included Pixar, Hugo Boss, the NBA, the Federal Reserve Bank, Ford, Novartis, Converse, American Express, and numerous family businesses. She she often works with executive teams, helping them to work through conflict, repair working relationships, and make sound uh, decisions together. She specializes in particularly difficult negotiations where emotions run high and relationships are strained. And she's the co-author of two New York Times bestseller, uh, Difficult Conversations, How to Discuss What Matters Most, and Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well. And I love what they put in parentheses for that book in the title, even when it's off base, unfair, poorly delivered, and frankly, you're not in the mood. She's written for the Harvard Business Review and for the New York Times as a guest expert and as a modern love columnist. Okay, last but not least, she's been on Oprah, NPR, Fox News, and CNBC's Power Lunch. And you can hear her after today's episode. Make sure to go listen to Shane Parrish's The Knowledge Product Project, Adam Grant's Work Life, Hidden Brain, and The Tim Ferriss Show because she's been on those uh, podcasts as well. Sheila says that she is schooled in negotiation daily by her three children. All right. Now, without further ado, I bring you my interview with Sheila Heen. Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, Sheila, and welcome to the She Built This podcast. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. I am delighted to have you, um, and I I really thoroughly enjoyed reading your book, and I'm excited to share with listeners some of the ideas and concepts that you share in there because there is just so much uh, in there <laughs> that I think, you know, that's something that comes like every single person, as you talked about in the book, has to deal with feedback on a regular basis more than we even realize. Yes. So, so before we kind of like really dive into that, I'm really curious to know. Um, how you started in this area, kind of what you do now, and a little bit about your backstory, because I always think that helps to paint a nice picture for people. Yeah, so it's interesting because I don't think 
that early on, I would have been able to see kind of landing in the space where we're writing a book on receiving feedback, uh, you know, from everybody in your life, spoken and unspoken. That that was not on the path as far as I could see. Um, so I went to law school and in law school, I took the negotiation workshop at Harvard from Roger Fisher and Bruce Patton. And I just totally fell in love with the field. And so, you know, I became a teaching assistant and worked with them doing research. And then I ended up graduating and um, turning down offers to practice law to stick around and stick around at a like pittance of a salary, (laughs) Um, which meant I couldn't pay my student loans um, without living in the dorms. So I'd have a place to live and, and food, but it was totally worth it because I woke up every morning, just fascinated and loving what I was doing and what I was learning. And, and so I started helping teach negotiation and influence. How do people interact with each other? How do they engage conflict? Um, How do they find solutions? And from there that led us to particularly difficult conversations where the relationship is strained or there's strong disagreement or there's strong emotion or lots of history or mistrust. And so we wrote difficult conversations um, in the late 90s. And then that eventually, that eventually led us to um, feedback because in working with organizations all over the world on their most challenging, difficult conversations, feedback turns up on that list every single time. You know, organizations and human beings all over the world struggle with feedback, both they struggle with offering it in a candid or honest way. And they struggle for sure with receiving it um, without feeling defensive or, or argumentative or devastated. I'm sure you're um, familiar a little bit or probably way more familiar than me of the work of Chris Voss and talking about um, difficult conversations and negotiations. Yes. Yeah. I'm a big fan of his, um, you know, his frameworks that he provides too. So let's start with feedback though. Let, what are the different ways that it can come in? Like what are the three types of feedback? Yeah. So I think that when, when you say the word feedback, what people think about are sort of formal, like performance reviews or grades. Right. And, and of course that's included, but when we talk about feedback, we actually mean, all of the information available to you in the world about how you're impacting other people. And that can be formal, but more often it's informal. It can be direct, but it can also be indirect or even unspoken. Sometimes what's so hard is like, is this feedback? Like they're not getting back to me. What do I make of that? So, um, so then the funny thing about even the word feedback is that we toss it around, but there are actually three different types of feedback and they have really different purposes. And we actually need all three in order to to learn and grow, but we're not specific about what we're offering other people or what we're getting or what we need right now. So the easy way to remember the three types is um, the acronym ACE, A-C-E. The A stands for appreciation. And appreciation just says, like, I see you and I get you and I value what you're doing. I notice how hard you're working. 
um, or what you're going through, it, it just makes people feel seen and valued. And it's, it's often in short supply in organizations. And part of the problem with that is that appreciation is a, an important hedge against burnout. It, mm. you know, lets us know somebody's noticing the value that we're bringing or, or how hard we're working. But the other problem with a shortage of appreciation is that it gets in the way of the second kind of feedback, the C, which is coaching. And by coaching, we mean anything designed to help you improve. Expand your knowledge, your skill set, your awareness of the impact you're having on other people, be more effective, be more efficient. Um, and if I feel underappreciated or unseen by you, and the first thing you have to say to me in six months is something you want me to change, like, screw you. <laughs> You know, like, do you even notice all the things I'm doing right? Yeah, I think this is where that like Oreo analogy comes in. Like you got to sandwich it between two nice things, you know? You do, although we should come back to the Oreo idea because I think that the Oreo idea is both right and misused in a way that actually makes it damaging. So we definitely should come back to that question. Okay, consider pin put in that. Pin pin put in the Oreo. I'll keep a stack of Oreos next to me to remind us. Um, So coaching is really the engine for learning and growth. And I mean, we all want to learn and grow. I mean, it's why people are listening to your podcast, right? Because they're like, ooh, interesting ideas. I get new insights into sort of old challenges. That's really valuable and, and in fact, fun. But then coaching also bumps into the third kind of feedback, which is the E, evaluation. And evaluation rates or ranks you. It tells you where you stand and whether you're on track. And because there's an element of judgment attached to evaluation, these are performance reviews or grades, for instance, um, I think evaluation is the most volatile. We have the biggest reaction to it. You know, when you get back a paper, in college, the first thing you do is turn to the back to look at the grade, right? Mm -hmm. And depending on my reaction to the grade, that tells me whether I even care about the margin comments, which are the coaching that would help me actually write a better paper next time. But it's the evaluation that draws our attention. And so sometimes what happens is that um, leaders will save up all of their feedback until the end of the year, and they dump it all into the performance review conversation. And then the, my reaction to the rating can often drown out my ability to hear the coaching. So I think this is, you bring, you say it so eloquently in the book, you say that there's this tension between learning and being like, we all want to learn and grow, which is again, Mm -hmm. why we listen to podcasts, why we read books. But at the same time, like, I just want someone to say that I'm okay as I am. You know, I just want someone to pat me on my back and be like, you're great today. Nothing needs to change. You go girl. Totally. I, I mean, I think this, this um, kind of insight that feedback actually lives right at the junction of those two human needs, like the need to learn and grow and achieving mastery and growing is a big piece of what makes life satisfying if you look at the happiness research. So we should welcome it. And we kind of, we have the experience of sometimes welcoming it like, oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much for that. That's a great insight. I'm going to use that right away. Um, but then it bumps into the second human need, which is the need to be accepted and respected and loved the way we are now. And I think that helps me understand why feedback 
can also sometimes be among the most painful experiences in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so it just helps me understand my conflicted relationship with feedback. And that although there are times I want it and, and genuinely feel grateful for it, sometimes it takes me quite a long time to feel grateful for it, like a decade (laughs) to look back and think like, you know what, that was right. Actually, that, that person who I have resented for several years actually was right. So it, and another, like, just to make it even more complicated, I feel like when we are the receiver of the feedback, it's always the person who's giving it who it's their fault. They didn't give it to me the way I needed it. And then oh, when totally. we, and then when we're the giver, that person or or sorry, that person feels like, yeah, we're not good at giving it. So it's kind of both. Like whether you're giving it or receiving it, something is wrong with the other person. Oh my goodness. It's so true. And I think that's why we all dread the conversations, right? Because it doesn't matter whether you're the giver or the receiver. It's awkward, it's painful, it's hard to be clear. Both parties often walk away feeling like, I don't even know if that was worth it, you know, or feeling misunderstood. And I think that's why we shy away from it. And what what was interesting to me was that in working with organizations on their difficult conversations, which included feedback conversations, pretty much 99% of the attention was spent on teaching people how to give feedback and like give it more often and more clearly and more honestly. But it didn't take long for people to try doing that. And even though they were skilled and clear, it was poorly received. And so they quickly learned like, well, that certainly wasn't worth it. I'm not going to do that anytime soon Um, again. So we started noticing, gosh, all of the attention is on the giving, which is kind of a push model of learning in organizations, like I'll decide what you need to learn and then I'll push you to learn it. And maybe what we're overlooking is that it's the receiver who's actually in charge in any of those interactions because it's the receiver who decides what they're going to let in and what they make of it and whether and how they choose to change. So maybe we should be understanding what's so hard for all of us about receiving feedback. And if if, if receiving feedback is actually a distinct leadership skill and you get better at it, well, shoot, not only can you take charge of and accelerate your own learning, but you also will role model what you expect of others and how to do it. And so really the fastest way to change a feedback culture is for the leaders to become better receivers. Ooh, okay, let's dive into that. So let's talk about like how to actually get better at receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it is a distinct set of skills. And I think it starts with, understanding the triggered reactions that we have. So if if you read books about that are sometimes called, you know, how to give and receive feedback, 99% of the book is about the giving part. And the thing that they say about the receiving part is like, just say thank you. And the problem is, I can just say thank you, but it's not what I'm, it's not what I am actually feeling. <laughs> what I'm feeling is like, okay, that's not true. And mm. you know, you're worse at this than I am. And who the hell are you to tell me? And you told me at a terrible time and you're terrible about giving me the feedback. Um, and, and also like, it's not who I am or who I want to be, or maybe, or maybe I'm afraid that it is. So I'm totally devastated. So like, I might be saying thank you on the surface, but inside I'm having all kinds of triggered reactions. And I think the, the place to start with getting better at it is just 
to better understand those triggered reactions and to accept that we're all going to have them and then not to let the triggered reaction be the end of the story. It's kind of the beginning of the story for working to understand what the giver is trying to tell you and understand and to see yourself more accurately. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those triggers. Like what are the actual, like where can you start to lean in and get curious when you're noticing that something in feedback is, is triggering you? So we, one of the things that um, we started to see is that you really could group the triggers that we have into three kinds. So we have three kinds of triggered reactions to feedback. The first is what we call a truth trigger. And it's all about assessing the quality of, of the, the feedback itself. Like, is that right or wrong? Is that true or not true? Is that good advice or terrible advice? Like, would it work? The second kind of trigger is what we call a relationship trigger. And this has everything to do with the person who offered you the feedback. Mm. You know, do I like them? Do I trust them? Do I think that they're credible? Um, do they actually have my best interests at heart or is this really all about them? And do they have their own agenda for me? Um, and so the who gets mixed up with the what pretty quickly. The third kind of trigger is what we call an identity trigger. And this is partly um, the story we tell about who we are. And it's partly also just the way we're wired, like how sensitive we are to feedback, how upset we get and how long it takes us to recover or, or positive feedback. Like how, how long do I sustain the high of getting real positive feedback? And, and it turns out that as individuals, our sensitivity can vary by up to 3000%. I just wanted to ask you if, if some people are more sensitive to it. And so I'm so happy you answered that question. More sensitive. Are you feel like you're on the more sensitive end or the less sensitive end? I am too sensitive to feedback. (laughs) And And I'm sure people give you feedback telling you you're too sensitive to feedback, which really is not helpful. Yes. Yeah. And, and I will say, I want to flip it because, uh, so I'm pretty sensitive to negative feedback and it can like topple me. Mm -hmm. But if somebody gives me a compliment or says something positive, I, it pretty much just bounces off me. Like, I'm just like, great. I don't, I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. So there is an aspect of as a receiver, when it's feedback you actually want, you have to actively be like, I receive that. I will take that. Yeah. And like really actually work to hear it. Mm -hmm. I'm glad that you said it for a couple of reasons. One is uh, I think negative feedback is always stronger emotionally than positive feedback for all of us. And it's partly, it probably just has to do with like the adrenaline threat response. Like you rarely have an appreciation emergency, right? (laughs) (laughs) But you do have a like, uh uh-oh, alarms, defend self. I feel attacked undermined, et cetera, emergency. So it's true that for most of us, negative can be stronger than positive, but even given that you can be, you can have different sensitivity levels to negative or positive. Um, so other people like negative might bounce off of them. Um, and positive, really, they are able to drink it in. Like they, yeah. they would just have the opposite pro- profile. So interesting. I, there's you, your next mission needs to be like create a quiz around that. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, well, so this is funny because clients sometimes say like, "How can I tell what you know what somebody else's profile is?" And I'm like, "Well, you don't really need a, a Star Trek scanner. Like, just ask them. <laughs> like the the important part is um, 
is just understanding that feedback isn't a meeting. Feedback right. is a relationship. Right. And talking with each other as you work together about like, or live together, um, like talk to me about your pet peeves about feedback. Talk to me about um, like, if I have coaching for you or a suggestion for you, like, how do you, what's, what's best? How do you want me to offer it to you? Is email okay? Do you, would you rather talk about it? And people have really different preferences and we might even have different preferences than each other, but that helps us settle in to work well together. Yeah. Let's dive in a little bit on that relationship piece. Like it definitely matters who gives you the feedback. Oh yeah. And I'm just curious to know, like, why did, if it, let's, let's just take it on face value. Like if somebody was giving you the exact same piece of feedback, why does it matter whether or not it was your mom or your boss? Well, what's your experience with this, by the way? I will, like when you said the thing about people not having your best interest in mind, mm -hmm. that's immediately where my brain is going to go. Like, what do they, like, what do they want out of this? You know what I mean? And I tend to think that I'm, I'm careful about who I divulge things to. And when yeah. they get, and when they give me their opinion on something, I want to make sure it's an opinion that I'm actually going to like take and not just be like, yeah, I wouldn't take that because I don't trust you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So I think that the who... We have a bigger reaction to the who than the what in many cases. And, and this is why your best friend who you do trust can tell you things that nobody else can, but it actually is also why sometimes the people closest to us mm. can't get through to us in the same way. So I don't know if you've had the experience of like my husband <laughs> will come home and be like, Oh, that new colleague told me something was so so insightful about my teaching and he tells me what it is and I'm like yeah I've been telling you that for 10 years like <laughs> but you met this guy today he's like some kind of genius um but there's something about an acquaintance where our story about the other person just doesn't get in the way and so we're able to hear it from someone a little further out sometimes in a different way than we hear it from the people we're closest to I used to come home from therapy all the time and be like, you will not believe what Sarah told me. And he'll be like, yeah, I've been telling you that yeah, forever. Exactly. And I was doing it for free. <laughs> yeah, you could have paid me instead of the health insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and so I, here's the other like really annoying thing about relationship triggers, which is the people that we find most difficult can sometimes be the most valuable players mm. for our own learning. And that's just irritating, right? Like that, that the people that we like and trust, those are the ones we pick to give us feedback. Like if we're supposed to nominate people, like, and you're smart, you pick the people who you like and you hope like you. But sometimes those people can't show us our edges because you just work so easily together it's the people that we have friction with and have some challenge working with who will see our edges, right? Like they bring out the worst in us, but it's still our worst. And, and so going to someone that you actually have some friction with and saying to them, like, you know, Hey, what's one thing that if I changed it would make a difference for you when we're working together? Like number one, they'll surely tell you. Um, and number two, they may have, insight into specific things you're doing that they're reacting to that are invisible to you. So part of the challenge um, 
of truth triggers to know what's true is that there's a challenge to see yourself accurately. And we all have blind spots. And sometimes the people that we find challenging who are able to help us see our blind spots and the ways in which we're impacting people in ways that we, we really don't intend in many cases. Okay. So I understand like not wanting to, I understand wanting to learn and grow and not intend to do these things. But what if you actually just don't want, like, what if they give you a piece of feedback and you're like, that's great and everything, but I don't want to change it. Like, can we just kind of turn it down? 100%. 100%. And by the way, chapter 10 is on boundaries (laughs) because we all have people in our lives who are just an endless stream of advice for us. And there are times where you just like, you know what? I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't want it. You need to keep it to yourself. Yeah. I think this happens a lot in friendships and you have to clearly, like, I know I have to say, I literally just want to complain about this thing right now. I do not want you to fix the problem for me. And I know you love to fix the problem. So just listen, just listen to me whine. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Well, and the other thing about it um, is that I think we have a, a super simplistic binary reaction to most feedback. It's either right or it's wrong. I Mm. either take it or I reject it. When actually most feedback is much more complicated than that. So um, we're listening for what's wrong with it. We call it wrong spotting. And by the way, I am incredibly good at wrong spotting. You know, what you're saying isn't exactly true. You don't understand the context. You know, when you told it to me and how you told it to me was totally inappropriate. So I'm really good at spotting what's wrong and you're always going to be able to find something wrong with any feedback that you get. It could be 90% wrong, but that last 10% actually might be just the thing that I should continue thinking about. So it might be like, okay, I wouldn't solve it the way you're suggesting that I solve it, but actually maybe it's a bigger problem than I thought it was. So I'll solve it my own way. But the 10% is that you've pointed out that this is actually a bigger issue than I thought. Yeah, I I see that. So just to step back um, a couple of steps for a second to zoom out, I talked about three kinds of triggers, right? Truth triggers, relationship triggers, identity triggers. Those triggers aren't going to go away. So instead of hoping that they go away, there's just a bundle of skills to meet the challenge of each trigger. So the... Um, the truth trigger is all about the challenge to see, to see myself accurately and also to see what in the world the giver means. What are they trying to tell me? And Mm. that's hard because almost all feedback arrives in the form of like a vague label, a word or a phrase simply because it, it has to, like there's the first sentence out of someone's mouth. Like, I really think you need to be more proactive or it'd be great if you could be more responsive and proactive or responsive, for instance, could mean a hundred different things. Um, But we're having a reaction to the first word, the label, before we understand what the giver means. We talk about it um, being a little bit like those generic cans of soup that just say soup on them. Yeah. Like it tells us the category of food that is in that can, but to know whether you want to eat it for lunch, you just need more information. And so the trick is actually to stick with it, even though you're having a triggered reaction, 
to ask more questions to see what your giver is trying to tell you. And the good news is that feedback always has a past and a future. So the label, you need to be more proactive. You can either ask questions looking backwards. Where is this coming from? Meaning you must have noticed some opportunities for me to be proactive where I didn't or problems that arose because I didn't foresee something like some set of things happened or you expected me to do something that I didn't do. Some set of things happened that have prompted you to say this to me. So help me understand where this is coming from, (laughs) not what their personality problems are, where this is coming from, but actually history. The other direction is forward-looking to the future, which is where is this going to? So if I were to be more proactive, what specifically would I change? And this actually happened to me just a couple of days ago um, where someone said like, you know, you just need to be more responsive to the questions being asked. And my reaction was like, well, I don't always have the information yet. And they're like, oh, I know, but just let them know that you don't have the information. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, okay, now I know what we're talking about. If responsive is just saying, I don't know yet, but I'll know after I talk to the client on Monday, that I can do. So questions looking forward are get down to specifics that help me understand what you're talking about and what it is you want me to change. Yeah, I think like it comes, I mean, it comes down to like kind of, okay, you know what, it comes down to like having this really bold and open communication, which I don't know if it's always readily available. So, but I imagine that there's some ways we can kind of like, uh, create those artificially when, when they don't exist. I think that's right. And, and also another thing that you have on your side when you're the receiver is your giver actually does really want you to understand what they're trying to say. So they will tend to be welcoming of your questions right. if you can stick with it, even though I'm thinking you're full of hot air and, and you know, I, I think this is an unfair criticism. But if I can stick with it to understand like, huh, I that's surprising to me, but help me understand what you're worried about. Help me understand what what it is you think I should have done instead, Right. If I can just stick with, I don't have to agree or disagree. That's actually a really important thing, which is in the conversation, I think we think that we have to either accept it or reject it. And I actually think you don't have to decide during the conversation itself. You just have to understand it. Later, you can decide what part of it you want to take away and which part you're going to leave behind. I definitely thought you were going to say the thing we had on our side as a receiver was tears. That usually helps. We totally have that on our side. (laughs) Totally. All right. That brings me back to, I want to take that pin out of the Oreo and go back to that. Um, Yeah. So why do you think that maybe the sandwich method is not the best method or, or is a great method? So I, so the, the upside of the so-called sandwich method. So just to reiterate what you were saying earlier, Um, The idea of the sandwich method or the Oreo method is say something nice or positive, slip in something negative, which is kind of what you need to say, and but be sure to end on something positive. And that's sometimes called the sandwich method, but part of the problem, and I think it's well-intentioned, meaning 
I need you to hear the important part of what I'm saying. And also, it's true that you're, it's not that you're a total disaster. There are positive things. Like, so I'm trying to help you have perspective on it. Um, the problem with it is that nobody really is fooled. Like you don't call a ham sandwich, a bread, ham, bread sandwich. You call it a ham sandwich because you know that what's in the middle is the important part. It's the meat of the message. And so, and also the way people use it is that they, the things that are um, at the beginning and the end are sort of pro forma easing in mm-hmm. and they're not really genuine or authentic. So they'll be like, you know, listen, you did a great job, but let's talk about blah, 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 blah. But anyway, you did a great job. It's that damn butt. <laughs> it's the damn butt. And it's also that you're giving a super vague, general, dismissive, um, positive at the front and the back end, because it's, it's really not authentic. It's in service of delivering what I really feel like I want to say, which is what's in the middle. And so if you are going to use the sandwich method because you feel like I am worried this person will um, supersize this feedback where I'm trying to tell them about one thing and they feel like it's everything, right? Or I think they're they're hearing me as saying something that is bigger than it actually is. So it, it may be that I, I really need this person in order for them to hear this. I want them to know, look, you're doing 90% of the job amazingly well. This is your growth edge. So we're talking about like the whatever, 5 or 10% or, or an opportunity for you to stretch or grow. If that's my purpose, then I want to make sure that the positive feedback that I'm offering alongside is just as specific and just as genuine as the coaching that I'm offering them. So, um, and it's a back and forth conversation rather than a formula. So it's like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm worried that you're going to hear this as a bigger deal than it is. And, and we'll go back and forth in conversation about how they are hearing it or what it is I'm suggesting that they try or do differently, for instance. I like that. All right. No, no more, uh, bread, ham, bread sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to get it all at once. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. As, um, from both the lens of a receiver and a giver, I'm hoping you can just leave us with like, what would be your biggest, if you could start implementing this right away kind of tip for listeners? I think for me, the thing that has helped the most is realizing that I actually need other people Mm. to see myself accurately. That I don't really know how I am impacting other people. And particularly as you move up in an organization or as an entrepreneur, if you're one of the founders or the boss, your voice is louder than you think it is in terms of how closely people listen and the impact that you have. And so um, I need other people to help me know whether I'm being effective and how I could be more effective or how I'm impacting them. And if I can just be curious about that, I don't have to agree or disagree as much as to be curious about it and just continually work to understand it. And if I can model that kind of learning attitude and that, look, I'm, I'm always learning how to be a better leader and I'm going to fall short and I'm going to fall on my face and I'm going to say things I don't that aren't clear or that I don't, didn't intend and I need your help. Well, then I'm also communicating that like, 
I value all of us continuously learning. And so it's going to be much easier for them to understand that's what I value and that's what I expect from you too. That was the perfect answer for a podcast that is also a woman's entrepreneurship community because Mm. that's one of the powers, I think, of community and working not alone is like being able to have other people honestly protect you from making big mistakes most of the time. That's what feedback really like helps to guide a lot of us to do. Yes, it's so So. true. It's so true. All right. Uh, How can we find and connect with you online or get a copy of the book? So the book is called Thanks for the Feedback, The Science and Art of Receiving Feedback Well, Even When It's Off Base, Unfair, Poorly Delivered, and Frankly, You're Not in the Mood. (laughs) Also, I absolutely, like, if you get a copy of this book, you have to read every word on the cover because it's hilarious. (laughs) I love. I so appreciate that. Yes, that is like my, you and Adam Grant from Think Again did that. And I was like, that is very clever. Yeah, he, uh, he's become a good friend, actually. And, and we really struggled with the title of the book. Because first of all, nobody likes feedback. And who wants to read a book about feedback? And so we really had to communicate that this is really all about being human. And and that journey from like, yeah, thanks for the feedback. Goodbye. Yep. <laughs> to actually a genuine, like, actually, thank you for that feedback. There's a piece of that that actually really was valuable to me. Um, and I think that that journey is, and the humor, right, of, of our reactions to it, I think are a big piece of, of what makes the book what it is. Um, anyway, of course, you can buy it anywhere books are sold. Um, and... Uh, I'm also a partner at Triad Consulting Group. Um, So if you Google my name or Triad Consulting Group, we actually have resources, free resources online um, so that you can download reader's guides, et cetera, um, prep worksheets and, you know, just poke around. Okay. Thank you so much. And I'll make sure both of those links are in the show notes. Um, Thank you for this. This was like a really rich and, and, in-depth conversation. So I appreciate it. And I have some feedback to get from somebody this afternoon that I'm just kind of like, all right, I am taking all of these tips and putting them into action literally right away. Oh, we can't (laughs) wait to hear about it. We can't wait to hear about it afterwards, Um, including like, okay, here's what they were wrong about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But here's what maybe they were right about. And those two questions, like, here's what they were wrong about. And then asking yourself, okay, what is it that they're maybe a little bit right about? helps me find, find the, the treasure. Okay. Challenge accepted. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sheila. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. To learn more about She Built This and to join our community and get involved for yourself, visit www.shebuiltthis.org.